there were a lot of hints that we got from the Iowa caucuses, but I uh, caution people to really uh, remember that the Iowa caucus electorate and the New Hampshire caucus electorate are very, very different animals. Hi there, it's WAMC News Director Ian Pickus. And on this episode of the WAMC News Podcast, one last New Hampshire presidential primary preview. The Iowa caucuses are history, and now former President Donald Trump's remaining rivals for the Republican nomination are racing across New Hampshire ahead of that state's pivotal primary. Will a strong showing be enough for Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis to turn the tide? And what do these early results tell us about the looming general election in November? Joining me now for a primary preview is University of New Hampshire political science professor Andrew Smith, director of the UNH Survey Center. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Did anything in the Iowa caucuses surprise you or give you any sort of insight into what might happen in New Hampshire? Um, there were a lot of hints that we got from the Iowa caucuses, but I uh, caution people to really uh, remember that the Iowa caucus electorate and the New Hampshire caucus electorate are very, very different animals. Turnout in Iowa is very low, 5 to 10 percent um, of the, of the uh, electorate come out to the caucuses. In New Hampshire, it's often upwards of 50 percent. So you've got a different kind of voter, a, a less ideological voter in New Hampshire than in, in Iowa. Um, uh, secondly, the religious uh, overtones that you see, the, the organization of the Republican electorate by the evangelicals in Iowa just doesn't exist in New Hampshire. Uh, New Hampshire is arguably the least religious state in the country, so those social conservative issues just don't resonate as well. Um, and in New Hampshire, we do have a primary rather than a caucus, so the turnout is, is, is really significantly higher, which means you don't have as many of those really ideological voters. And so New Hampshire is just not as Trump-like as Iowa is. Uh, so I think you can expect a few other changes in New Hampshire based on the data that you see there. Uh, the most important thing uh, I think that impacts the race from Iowa was that Vivek Ramaswamy dropped out. Uh, that's likely to help Trump because his support – is uh, his uh, voter's second choice is typically Trump. The uh, the one person, uh, one way that Nikki Haley benefited from the uh, caucus's outcome is that Ron DeSantis is still in the race. Because I think Ron DeSantis, if you look at his second choice voters, 66% said that Trump is their second choice. Um, those are not Haley voters. So the fact that DeSantis is in uh, splits the Trump vote up a little bit, which would mean that Trump isn't likely to get that 50 percent that he got in Iowa. Who has the most to gain? Who has the most to lose in Tuesday's vote? Oh, well, I think the most to gain, obviously, is Donald Trump, because uh, he's he's got the greatest opportunity of doing well based on polling. Uh, the, the candidate with the most to lose is probably Ron DeSantis. I'm surprised that he's still in. Um, I don't really think he has much of an avenue after New Hampshire. Uh, the one who must win New Hampshire, though, is Nikki Haley, because if she doesn't win New Hampshire, she really doesn't have any options in the subsequent states. Um, she's got a kind of a real outside chance as it is. And I think that would uh, her chances that if she wins New Hampshire, gets a tremendous amount of media attention, goes to South Carolina, where she's already a pretty popular ex-governor. Um, uh, she may have a chance of winning South Carolina and then getting some additional momentum. But uh, that's a tall order. Uh, South Carolina Republicans are really kind of MAGA Republicans. We saw that 
Former President Trump didn't campaign all that much in Iowa and still really outperformed his rivals. What's it been like on the ground in the closing days of this primary in terms of candidates, events, and that kind of thing? Well, I think we shouldn't think too much about the importance of retail politics at this point in the campaign. Now it's really about just uh, getting people excited and getting them out to the polls. It's not really convincing them to support you. Um, And I think uh, what we're seeing is a lot of bigger events. Certainly Donald Trump is having just exclusively rallies. Uh, He may have a a couple other states, small events, but uh, he's really holding big rallies where they're very controlled. He can give the message that he wants to give. There are no reporters to answer, ask questions, or no voters to ask him questions. Haley is not going to be able to draw the crowds that Trump did, uh, but she's having some medium-sized to large-sized events, um, and she's having many more of them than Trump is. Um, she can't afford to do She just doesn't have the, uh, the, the position now to do the, just the, the really big um, rallies that Trump is. Uh, DeSantis has just come back to the state, so he doesn't have as many events. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he manages to stay uh, viable with his retail campaigning, because if he does have a weakness, it's his, in his retail campaigning just isn't up to the par of, of Trump's kind of over-the-top stuff. And uh, Haley is very polished and very on message in her retail campaigning. Do you think that anything has changed without Asa Hutchinson and Chris Christie in the field anymore? Uh, Asa Hutchinson dropping out really made no difference. But uh, Chris Christie was certainly, uh, I think, gave an additional boost to Haley. Um, uh, Yes, Christie, who uh, Christie voters, who their second choice was um, uh, before he dropped out. We were seeing that for Christie supporters, um, 65% of them said Nikki Haley was their second choice. So I think that helped bolster uh, Haley's run, gave her some momentum coming out of there. And again, as I say, DeSantis staying in is probably a really good thing for uh, for Haley right now. What is Chris Sununu doing in the closing days of this race, and what kind of effect might his efforts have? Uh, I, I don't think we should overplay the importance of endorsements in New Hampshire because the state has so little money in its government uh, and so few people in its government compared to many other states. There's really no ability for a governor to build up that kind of political machine based on patronage, et cetera, that you see in some other big states. Um, but what Sununu can do is be a surrogate for Haley and, and be able to go out and uh, um talk on his behalf, introduce him and so forth. So a good surrogate that will spend a lot of time out on the road. But uh, endorsements generally are not that impactful in races. Um, usually an endorsement is largely a two or three day news story, and that's about it. But, um, you know, Christy, can, Christy will certainly be uh, a nice surrogate to have for uh, Haley. We've talked in the past about the reasons why President Biden isn't running a Democratic primary campaign in New Hampshire this year. Uh, There is a write-in effort as he faces some rivals. Uh, So what about the Democratic side? Is there anything interesting to watch there? Uh, There could be, uh, but I don't think as much. I was watching this more closely about a month ago to see if um, Dean Phillips could get any traction for that anti-Biden uh, vote, especially among younger voters and uh, more progressive voters who uh, really don't like what uh, the administration is doing um, with the uh, war in, in Gaza right now. Uh, if there had been kind of a protest vote 
showing up, that would have made this race interesting. But we're just not seeing it in our polling. Um, with even having Biden as a write-in, about 70 percent of voters, of Democratic voters, say they're going to write him in. Now, the question is, is 70 percent good enough? Is 60 percent good enough? Let alone, it's, maybe he could win, but get 55 percent. The story is going to be really critical to see if the if it's described if you know, a poor performance by Biden, despite the fact that he's got a writing campaign. Uh, so poor performance uh, is a demonstration of a weak party and a non-unified party. Uh, that could be problematic because there's a precursor for that in the 1968 race uh, when uh, Lyndon Johnson, facing unpopular war in Vietnam, uh, chose to run as a write-in in New Hampshire in 1968, and another Minnesotan, uh, Gene McCarthy, almost beat him. Now, Johnson beat McCarthy, but the fact that, first off, in Johnson's eyes, that there was even the significant race, and then in the eyes of the public and the press, the fact that uh, Johnson won, but by not by that much, um, that made the story coming out of that that the Democrats faced a uh, a weak and divided party, and Johnson took that message. He, he decided that he would not uh, run for re-election. So that same story is there. That same storyline is there. And frankly, there are a lot of Democrats that went clean for Gene back in 1968, who are leaders of the political party now, or the elders in the party uh, here in the state. And they remember that very well. Uh, so they're the ones who are behind the write-in campaign. Uh, they don't want to see the embarrassment that Johnson faced by Biden uh, of not being able to show a unified face going forward. So this, this uh, write-in campaign is actually a fairly significant effort that began last spring, really, uh, and is, uh, has been, I think, fairly effective. It looks like um, most Democrats, particularly older Democrats, are going to come out and vote. And if they do, uh, they're going to write in Biden. Assuming that Biden and Trump are facing off in November, how does the state of New Hampshire look today? Oh, it would probably be, um, probably be a leaning slightly leaning Democrat, simply because I think by the time we get around to the election, both parties will have made peace with the, with their, the fact that neither of them has the candidate that they really want to have. In both cases, I think both parties would rather have somebody than other than Trump or other than Biden. Um, so once people make peace with that, they'll end up supporting their party's candidate overwhelmingly. Um, a little uh, guy I used to work with in Wisconsin used to say that uh, rationalization is the second strongest human drive. And even those uh, people that may be supporting Haley right now, um, they'll, they'll rationalize why they have to vote for Trump in November because he's better than Biden. And the people that maybe are really opposed to Biden now and really like Dean Phillips or Marion Williamson, they believe me, they'll come around in November and say that, well, they can't let Trump win. They'll vote for Biden and hold their noses. So that rationalization that goes on by uh, general election time, you know, we, we can't underestimate the impact of that. Uh, will you be going to any of the famous midnight voting this time? Uh, no, I won't. Uh, uh, I've, I've been to Dixville Notch one time to see that, and there really isn't much going on there to see. It's kind of a media circus. It's predictive of nothing. Uh, so it's a kind of a fun place to go and say you've been to, but it's um, not really going to tell us anything about where the election is going. Well, uh, we really appreciate your time during this uh, busy period in New Hampshire. We've been speaking with Andrew Smith, director of the UNH Survey Center and political science professor at UNH. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate talking to you.
Okay, that does it for this episode of the WAMC News Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Ian Pickus.